woman of my word. And it looks like you beat voodoo. So I'm gonna tell you where your grandma's gloves are at. Stop. It doesn't matter anymore. I don't even wanna know. This whole time, I thought that those gloves were the only thing that connected me to my grandma still. But then Chainsaw, Voodoo, Holodead, and Angelica Dante took me to the deepest, darkest places I've ever been. And they messed with my head. But unfortunately for them, I fought with my heart. Yes, she did. to be great was already within me and that my grandma is still with me even without those gloves. AJ, the intentional fortitude, lives within Candy Crush. I defeated the monsters. Yes, she did. And I will continue to rise and conquer. Let's go. You know, when we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. And it is for the WWE Championship. This match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Green, and we are another week up, another week down. It is episode 27 of WOW. They are still trucking along. And, you know, let's just go ahead and just give it up for them right now. Bravo to them. Because this is one of my this was one of my major concerns when Wild returned back on the air that they were gonna continue to do the same thing that they've been doing. Let's shoot for a season, we'll stop and then we'll come back after you know a couple of months off and then we'll do it again and blah blah blah. Uh, but every time that has ever happened, it has always left room for uh, things to go wrong. People to leave, contracts to come up, TV networks to cancel, uh, just things to go wrong and and I cannot say that I'm anywhere responsible for this I don't know that but I've, I've advocated via this podcast for years because yeah I know some of y'all don't know that wild's been around forever uh on and off that is but they've been around but I've advocated for years I mean since the point that they returned the first time and I think what was that 2013 somewhere around there that they should not take breaks. They need to keep going. You know, I don't know how they was going to manage to do that. I didn't. I wasn't aware of their budget. I don't know what their shooting schedule is or whatever. But they shouldn't take any breaks. This needs to just keep on rolling. And lo and behold, they are still moving along. I don't think I introduced myself. This is Mr. Green, and and I will repeat the theme of the show. You're listening to the Pro Wrestling's podcast the rights and wrongs of pro wrestling podcast and uh we are going to go through 
another edition of the show. Uh, and we're going to talk about a couple of different things along the way, too, because uh, there have been a couple of, uh, uh, I don't say big occurrences that, that aren't big, but uh, just, just a couple of things that happen to be existing in the world of women's wrestling, not necessarily WoW. I mean, the, the, the bulk of this is going to be on WoW, but, you know, every once in a while I might slide in and out of that. So, um, so that being the case, let's get to it. And we're going to start uh, the way that the show kicks off with their, their new opening sequence, uh, their opening graphic and all that good stuff. You know, I'm going to take a, a moment to give a, another set of praise here I, I know i've said it in some other podcasts but i am going to reiterate the fact here now i don't know if they fired the people that were producing that show originally i don't know if somebody else came in and decided to take the production in a different direction i don't know if it was just a, a wholesale re uh not recasting but uh, refitting for for the crew positions. I don't know what circumstances created the idea that they needed to change something the way that the show was presented. But bravo to whoever did it and to whoever made that decision. Bravo. I mean, if I were giving grades to WoW's production team. You know, let, let's forget the the in-ring talent and commentators and all that just for a second. If I was given a, a grade, particularly considering what has uh, been improved or changed or whatever the case may be, uh, camera work at this point, A, lighting in the building and for the crowd, A, uh, audio where I can actually hear the crowd. And even if they do doing sound sweetener, it doesn't sound as obvious uh, that I can hear the audience, good or bad, I can hear the audience that they are, are up or they're down. A, uh, the, the, the editing of the show and editing slash direction of the show in terms of camera work, uh, the, the way that they cut on on the action and whatnot it is not overdone the way that they did before where whoever was editing the show would cut on everything like punch cut kick cut slam cut you know it was very jarring but now they actually let it kind of run so so for direction and editing hey whoever is responsible for that get his man or woman a raise they, they deserve something. <laughs> whoever whoever got the ear of of whoever is greenlighting this thing, I can only assume is David McLean. But whoever was responsible for getting the ear of him or Jeannie Buss or Selena Man, whoever, whoever made the ultimate call like, hey, you know, we need to change some of this because this ain't working. Uh, yeah, give them a, a, a raise. Something. They deserve it. Because it comes off more like a wrestling program now, rather than a series of jarring cuts of people that's running around in the ring nonsensically. It looks and feels better. And I don't think that that should be overlooked. I don't think that it should be 
slept on. I think it, it particularly considering how the show started, uh, I think it deserves a lot of credit that they have turned it around, especially coming off of uh, the episode, what, two weeks ago? Episode 25 from the LA Comic Con. I like, who ever convinced the uh, the person that was putting this together again? It might be Dave McClain, might be Selena Mayers, but whoever convinced them that these GoPro cams sitting on the top of a turnbuckle corner somewhere that makes the shot look like it's stretching out over miles into the audience, whoever convinced them that that was a good idea or yeah, this shot to be fine, it's perfect on, on TV, they need to be fired. Those are terrible shots. Now I don't know, and I know there's some colleagues out there of mine's, and I've listened to them like, oh yeah, and the, the, the shots were they were badass. No, they weren't. These are terrible, terrible, terrible shots that took place on episode 25. I, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take credit for one thing. I don't take credit for a lot, but I'm gonna take credit for one thing. I'm gonna take credit for being. The one person that's doing a podcast on this show that calls it like it is. Good, bad, or indifferent. I, I am not here to just arbitrarily or randomly tell WoW that everything that they do is good and they have no flaws. I call the good and I call the bad and everything in between. And I'm the only one that does. And until I hear or see another podcaster or anybody that's reviewing that show that does the same thing, I will continue to hold that title. I am the one that calls it like it is. Okay, now that, that's the only credit that I'm going to take. But no, I, I, I get back to the production team. I really think that they deserve uh, credit where it's due and helping move this thing along. From everything from getting rid of the Thor Love and Thunder lower thirds which was stupid to begin with because it was only going to last so long it was only going to be relevant while that movie was in existence and if you weren't getting some sort of sponsorship off of it then why bother you know what i mean it just didn't make any sense to me to do that and it seemed very much like a fad which apparently it was because it just got dropped and it got replaced with proper lower thirds uh like i said the lighting the audio i mean you we can actually hear the theme music of the wrestlers coming to the ring now. Just think about that. I mean, that's a small thing. It's a very small thing, but it's an important thing. You can hear the theme song of the wrestlers coming to the ring. That is a big portion of the presentation in pro wrestling. It has been a big portion of uh, the presentation of pro wrestling for like the last 30 years. So I didn't understand necessarily why they were drowning it out originally, which they were doing. If you go back and watch those first couple of shows, they almost completely drowned out the theme songs. You couldn't hear it. It was it was talked over. It was it was ambient noise over it. You faintly heard it, but you really couldn't make it out. Now you can actually hear it. And I know you're not listening for lyrics and stuff like that, but it's just nice to hear that these people have a theme and it and it sets the tone for who they are and what they're doing i mean now you liking the themes or not that's you know of course that's up to you but 
how can anyone ever argue the point that theme music isn't important in a pro wrestling presentation? I don't know how any person could ever argue that. Have you ever gone to a wrestling show and the first opening chords of a song took the audience away? Whether that be a song that was custom made like what WWE does when they have Jim Johnson or Jimmy Hart or the CFOs or whoever's doing the music now. Or when you had uh, places like Smoky Mountain or ECW where they used popular music to kind of bring the person's in. Regardless of which version of it is, there's always been the case of when you got the opening chords of some songs, it, it changed the atmosphere of the, of the crowd. For those people that may be old enough and, and actually went to an ECW show, if you've ever been, I had the opportunity to, to, to get to one. As a matter of fact, I got to ECW pay-per-view. But if you've ever been and you were sitting in that audience when the opening chords of Enter the Sandman hit or Walk or uh, I can't remember Shane Douglas's theme right now, right now off the top of my head. But uh, when you got the opening chords of those, that, that especially Enter the Sandman, that crowd went nuts. It's kind of the same thing when you got uh, – Steve Austin, people waited for the glass to break. As soon as they hear it, up on their feet. You can say that The Rock, that's a perfect example. I mean, uh, I forget which year it was, but I think it was with Breakdown 1997. Uh, I, could, I could have the year wrong, but it's a triple threat match. And I'm, this is going to be my suggested viewing for you since I'm just kind of making examples of, of great entrances. Uh, the triple threat match, Ken Shamrock, Mankind, The Rock, they played it, you know, and this is when The Rock was first being turned by the audience back babyface. You know, he had been Rocky Maivia, then he turned to The Rock and he was a heel, but then he started, you know, he was cool, so he started getting over and people started liking him bit by bit, little by little, until the point where they started cheering him, even though he was not a full-fledged babyface yet, this is the point where they turned him. The audience turned him. But to hear that audience explode when the opening chords of his song came out, because he had Shamrock, he gotten into the ring. And they, you know, they, and they cheered for everybody. They, mankind, same thing. His music comes, they, he got into the ring. And then they let it sit for about 10, 15, maybe 20 seconds. Probably not 20 seconds, but it felt like a long time. They let that audience into a small lull until it was quiet enough to where you heard over the loudspeakers, do you smell what the rock is cooking? And they just explode. They explode. That right there is a prime example of what the importance of a song can do. So, all of that to say, the production value that has increasingly gotten better with WOW, including the audio, bravo to them. And I hope it gets better. I hope it gets to the point that the music for the WOW girls gets to where the opening chords of it can key off a reaction like that. But it's going to take some time, and it's going to take personality out of the girls. That's a whole different thing. But, you know, at least they have the opportunity to try to get there.
it, it also should be pointed out for those who didn't know, because I, I don't think Wild advertised it yet. I'm not sure why they wouldn't. wouldn't. But uh, Wild has a... I can't another series. I'm about to say documentary, but that's that's not accurate. Uh, they have another series that is on uh, Pluto TV as I speak. Uh, it is uh, my road to Wow. I believe that is the the uh, proper title of of the program. Now, originally, when I got the not the post, but uh, uh, the, the press release. It was kind of presented as a documentary, or maybe I misread it. So I'm going to pull this up right now and uh, see how it was given to me because I had fully intended to put this up, and uh, and I still will, now that I'm saying it. I'll, I'll put it on the uh, uh, YouTube channel and the Instagram. But uh, it, I got the release where Wild Women of Wrestling announces two documentary series to premiere in March 23, you know, March, not 23, but 2023 on Pluto TV. So, uh, I, you know, I misread that two documentary series, not two documentaries. But the ones that they have is My Road to Wild, The Secrets of the Wild Superheroes, which is uh, basically, if you remember looking at the beginning versions of wow where they had these sit down interviews with everybody is kind of like that just stretched out but you have multiple persons per episode you got like three people per episode and later then there's another series called the origin of wow women of wrestling uh this is the description that they have uh, produced by Fishbowl Worldwide Media is a documentary exploring the larger-than-life story behind the evolution of women's wrestling from a sideshow act at the fairgrounds to the rise of the first all-female wrestling league with glow gorgeous ladies of wrestling in the 1980s and the rocky road to success leading up to today with wild women of wrestling. Hear from Glow and Wild founder David McLean, former professional wrestler and Wild trainer Selena Majors, former professional wrestler and Wild executive producer AJ Mendez, and Wild superheroes, and see the uphill battles over featuring women's wrestling on TV and the drama with the network that broke the series apart. Meet Jeannie Buss, co-owner and co-founder of Wild, as well as governor and co-owner of Los Angeles Lakers, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, sorry, and learned how she partnered with David McClain to realize the vision to revive an all-women's wrestling organization as the next big thing in global sports entertainment. From the 1980s to now, see how the culture has evolved, how perceptions of women's wrestling have changed, and while now is the time for WOW Women's Wrestling to claim its place as a true game changer has always been destined to be. That is the write-up that was provided to me for uh, the origin of WOW. Uh, I would give the same for the, my road to wild, but like I said, it's just to kind of cut that down. If you saw the original uh, release of Wow and the um, uh, sit down interviews that they had, it is it is basically those. Now that said, uh, 
I watched a little bit of it. I watched a little bit of the first episode. I will probably go back and sit down and, and watch the remainder at some point. But the first person that they have on there is Keita Rush, and it's probably a very good choice. Now, I've never said that their documentary-style interviews were bad. In fact, I've said the opposite. The documentary-style interviews were very good. Uh, The production, the way it was shot, the the B-roll, the... You know, the interviews, all of, all of that stuff was was very good. My only problem that I had with it was where it was positioned and how. The best example that I can show about it being just positioned wrong or incorrectly is when they interviewed Ice Cold. Not that her story was, was wrong. I was going to say bad, and I, I can't really say it's not because it's, it's horrible it's got tragedy all through it um but she's on there she's talking about how she got to where she got she's talking about the tragedies overcome she's talking about death she's talking about sexual assault she's talking about abuse you know and and things like that and once that thing is over not two seconds later she's walking out the ringside acting like a heel that is why i said this is position wrong how am i supposed why would i boo this person she just told me that she survived sexual assault. Why would I turn around and boo her? It was in the wrong place. In this series, in the My Road to Wow, The Secrets of the Superheroes, in that, it belongs. Because it sits on its own. It doesn't air in the same time slot as, or, or even behind the same time slot as what they do on the various CWs and independents across the country in syndication. It doesn't do that. It's on Pluto TV. Again, now you can go on Pluto TV. Pluto TV is a little hard to navigate sometimes. But go to On Demand and hit the search. Just put in WOW. It should come up. Uh, but, yeah, it, here it belongs. And just from the first five minutes of what I saw, you know, having Keita Rush retell her story about what happened to her, what happened to her family. I mean, she, she's... They're talking very personally. They talk about she's talking about divorce, and I mean not her divorce, but the divorce of her parents. She's talking about her, how her mom uh, was injured and and went into a coma, and and when she woke up, she had no memory of her family, like her kids. She didn't she didn't know who they were. Uh, when she was the results of her being in that coma from the accident i think she got hit by a car if i'm not mistaken uh the results of that being that she uh became bipolar and schizophrenic and and like i said when she woke she didn't even know who they were so when you watch that how do you not root for akita rush how do you not want to see her succeed and i suspect that the rest of these interviews and uh, you know, sit downs with the other wild superheroes are going to be very similar to that. So if I'm doing this, if I'm producing that, my first objective is we got to line up the current baby faces for this. We can interview everybody, but we got to line up the baby faces for this. And I don't want, you know, and this is just me, I don't want any heels on this that you can start to feel sympathy for. I, I don't want that. I, I want 
them to remain on their own. You can have a version of an interview with them, but I don't want, you know, we're going to edit some of this down. And when they flip, if they do flip, like if somebody goes babyface, let's just say Penelope Pink, for instance, and she flips and she turns babyface, then, you know, we might re-release it or, you know, something like that and let it all out. But the point being is that it's it seems like a good tool to help you get to know who some of these people are. Although be it in a, in an entirely different series, but you can get you know get the chance to watch some of them and know who they are. Uh, again, available right now on Pluto TV, so you know you have that for those who, and Pluto TV is free. So I don't want anybody out there acting like, well, I don't have it and I can't get it. Yes, you can. It's it's a free app. <laughs> you got to deal with some commercials, but it's a free app. You'll be fine. Uh, so yeah, look, I, I wanted to get that kind of out of the way and, and uh, address some of those again give I want to give credit where it's due you know I, I don't want to be the guy that sit up there and everybody like oh yeah you hate wild no I don't I don't I don't hate wild <laughs> don't give it a, I just call them out on the things that I think need to be called out uh okay so let's get this started with the episode and where we were going with this first match of episode 27 of course you got your your standard open and the, the pre-match video and sets up the main event the main event in this particular instance of episode 27 was siren the voodoo doll some of y'all knew her as nina monet but i don't know how often she wrestles under that name anymore and candy crush so that is the main event now keep in mind the main event is largely built around the angle of candy crush's gloves being stolen uh, they were stolen like in episode nine this is, so this has been months <sighs> and i won't go into that now because that probably is part of the not so good so first match tiki tomorrow versus genesis of exile with exodus and ice cold my first note <laughs> that i wrote when I saw Ice Cold come out, it says, why is she there? And where is Malaya Hosaka? At no point, unless I completely tuned them out, did I hear them explain anything about why Malaya wasn't there and Ice Cold was. Ice Cold, at this point, is a lost child. She has no one that she hangs with. She just kind of floats around from one thing to the next. And she has no discernible angle or storyline or anything that she's participating in. She's just she's just with other people. And now where is that's not necessarily a bad thing. She needs to have direction. She needs something to do. If she's going to be there, she doesn't need to be some hanger on and just following along like a lost puppy to whomever will accept her. She needs to do something on her own, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Because, again, I, what can you say about this? What, what can you say about Ice Cold just being there? It, it, it is somewhat pointless. Then it, I don't see what purpose this serves. Again, it, it wasn't explained. But WoW has a problem doing that. Sometimes they explain things two or three weeks later. We'll get into that, too. So, anyway... Um, 
the match in and of itself was fine. Uh, Genesis looked impressive, you know, coming out with the nunchucks and stuff like that. Seems like she was taking the role of being the lead face of Exodus. Oh, Exodus. Exodus is a partner. Exile. Uh, it seemed like she was taking the, the role of being the face of that particular faction at this point. Uh, maybe just because she's the de facto leader because Malaria isn't there. I don't know. But um, this was an underdog match. She, would, she, she being Genesis, was primarily in control of the matchup. Kind of Tiki did get her spots in, but Genesis was kind of portrayed as uh, being in control. And she maintained control and she played the arrogant part and and not she did good uh being the arrogant heel drops uh tiki and goes for a cover tiki hooks the leg and uh like the back of her neck rolls through and gets a surprise roll up and wins the match and i thought that okay that was good especially for who tiki has been portrayed to be she's been kind of like this i'm smaller than most other people i'm an underdog so her scoring a win out of the blue in such a fashion i thought was perfectly fine and and i and again genesis did a good job being the bullying heel in my view uh what i thought was a little mistimed was after the match uh, Genesis gets the microphone and basically is like, no, no, this, this isn't happening. I mean, this isn't verbatim, of course, but she, she's like, all right, get her, get her, attack. You know, so, so she's standing there in front of Tiki while Tiki's got her hand raised by the referee. And uh, she's seeing this woman who she just beats tell her two friends on the outside attack. And she just kind of looked around like surprised, like, hey, what's going on? What's happening? Like it didn't occur to her to leave. And she had maybe a good couple, five, six seconds to get off, you know, to leave or try to do something. Make it make it look like she was making the effort to escape, but she didn't do that. So they come in, Exodus and Ice Cold, they come in and attack her, beat her up a little bit before the twins come out for the save. Again, no problems here because once you attack somebody, the, the clock is ticking before somebody should be coming out there, security or, or referees or friends or otherwise, which is why I had such a problem with that Princess Aussie angle a couple of seasons ago, but we won't go into that. So the twins and tomorrow come in. Well, I shouldn't say they come in. The twins come in and run exile and ice cold off. Now, I guess the only other flaw that I would say is McLean and Dickie refer to the Island Dynasty before they actually say it in the ring. So they, they got a little bit ahead of the group naming themselves. It's like, ah, oh, the Island Dynasty, I like that. And then they follow behind, like, yeah, dude, with the Island Dynasty. So they just, they got a little bit ahead of that. But I, 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 I guess that's a small thing, a small price to pay. Uh, the next segment was the championship recap segment, and this is where you know I, I start having problems with plot holes and inconsistencies or just making stuff up just because. 
This is why this segment was while retelling their history to try to explain plot holes that took place weeks or so earlier. When they talk about and the utilization of the secret wildcard rule, I was like, okay, really? The secret wildcard rule. The secret wildcard rule. That's why did this have to be a secret? First off, for what reason did this need to be a secret? Other than to cover up the fact that Penelope Pink was in a match that she wasn't supposed to be in. This was a poor explanation. I could have come up with a better explanation. I'm, I'm sorry, and, and I know there's a lot of times I'm like, hey, look, I, I couldn't have did no better or nothing like that. But I'm going to say in this particular case, I could have came up with a better explanation. Easily. They already had somebody in the match. They had Vicky Lynn McCoy. Just have Lana say, look, I gave the slot to her. I'm the boss of this group. Vicky Lynn is my enforcer, and I chose Penelope Pink to go in there. So, you know, I used my, I called my lawyers up, and I had that qualifying entrant ticket or contract or whatever you want to call it transferred legally over to my, represent, my representative. Penelope Pink's in there because I want her in. End of story. Didn't require some sort of ridiculous thing like, Oh, well, we had a secret wild card rule. That's just absurd. And this was never mentioned beforehand. It's not like they set the, the tone of this. It would have been a different thing if leading into this, they say, hey, we got qualifiers, and guess what, folks? There's going to be a secret wild card rule that somebody's going to be able to pull out of the lottery, and even if they lose, they'll be able to come out. If they did that, then it would have made some sort of sense. But to say it two weeks after the fact, to try to explain it away is just ridiculous. They'd have done better to do what I suggested. Get this woman in her house with, a, with her cell phone, tell her, look, buy a tripod and hook this phone up and sit down and cut the promo and explain it. And we're done. This is it. That would have gone over easier than some absurd rule that they just came up with just because. Uh, and and Vicky Lynn not being in it is almost never explained. And they, oh, oh no, I'm sorry, they did say something. They again retelling the history. Pink won with help from Vicky Lynn McCoy. I'm like, what help? What did she do? She wasn't even there. She never showed up. And it's not like these things are hard to find. You can go back to the episode and look at it. It's right there on the YouTube channel. So why even say something like that? With help from Vicky Lynn McCoy, what help? What did she do? Her spirit helped guide her along? <laughs> or the ghost of Vicky Lynn McCoy came in and intervened for her, her benefit? Like, what did she do? If she's going to be the enforcer and you don't want her to be be a champion, then just say that. And, and, and it didn't do any good for that. I was like, Penelope Pink won already. We've seen that. So let her have it. It's, it's bad enough that she won a match that was drastically and horribly cut down. But to then take the victory that she did have and then credit it to her needing help to somebody who rarely wins at all is also ridiculous. I use the term, you know, 
a couple of weeks ago when I reviewed that. Have him, and this is all due respect to Foxy Fierce, but she has not been presented like a main event player. She just hasn't. Majority of her matches, she's lost. She's won a few. Now I had to go back and do the, you know, do the research. I think she's won like two, you know, but she's been there for weeks. She and she just has not been presented like a main event person. And so I stand by the rule that, you know, it would be the equivalent of Steve Austin beating up the Brooklyn Brawler in the main event of Raw. Like, who who are you expecting to win here? You expect Steve Austin to win. Or taking, you know, like, again, Roman Reigns, who's a, a current star, and sticking him in there with Chad Gable or uh, Dolph Ziggler. That's, you know what, that's probably a better example. I don't even remember if I said that before, but Dolph Ziggler, that's probably a good example because it's not like Dolph isn't talented. It's not like Foxy isn't talented. They, they both have ability in the ring, but they have not been presented as a main event person in some time. Dolph, much better, but Foxy hasn't gotten there at all because she constantly goes down. She's constantly getting pinned and beat. So there was there's no drama to this match when I know it was like, once we get down to the two of them, we know who's winning. Come on. So that that this whole segment here, should have been either edited, cut, or written differently. It didn't do this episode any favors. This segment. I'm not going to say the entire episode, but this segment of it should have been cut off or redone. Because it, it, it didn't explain anything, didn't help anything. It just, it just sounded like a six-year-old child who changes the rules of the game while you're playing the game. It's, you know, you know what I mean. I just hit you with the fire. No, I got a force field. Well, you didn't say that to me. Well, I got one. It's like that's what this is like. Let's just change it. The segment following this is the fabulous force segment. Lost our showing off a belt collection. Basically, it doesn't. It's it's nice to see, and it's nice to to see the fabulous four collectively. Uh. With Lana having essentially every championship that WoW has. It didn't push any narrative forward, but it didn't hurt the show either. So, I mean, it, it was a good-looking segment is the best I could say for it. But I will also add, before this show hit the air, there was a uh, post that they put up, they being WoW, about if WoW had a Manager of the Year award, who would you give it to? And they put up four names. Now, the first one, I just quote, Mesmer was in there, and at the time, she wasn't listed as a manager. She was listed as a wrestler, so I didn't know that she even qualified. Uh, the other one was Samantha Smart, uh, Sophia Lopez, and, of course, Lana Starr. When I saw that originally, my vote went to Sophia Lopez. As the top manager of WoW, because at that time, before the sh- before the show re-aired, she had the most success within the company. I'm afraid that that opinion now has to change. The top manager that exists in WoW today is Lana Starr. Sorry, Sophia. I love me some Sophia Lopez, but 
in this particular instance, she has not had the opportunity to manage a champion or lead a champion. She, beforehand, she was wrapped up in every major change or main event scene that that company had. So we can't really get on that. I mean, she 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 got to slide down since you know, you got to make room at some point. So you know, and I expect that she'll get back around to it. But as far as this season goes, Lana Star hands down. She has improved as a talker. She still needs to do some work as a manager because there have been some times that, and they left it on camera where the timing was a little off and something that she was going to do. But she knows who Lana Kinnear knows who Lana Starr is. And she can speak well as Lana Starr. And she can get under, she can be grating and nerve wracking as Lana Starr. And. The stronger she gets here, like I wouldn't say, wouldn't have said this a couple of months ago because you know Wild was in and out and up and down and all that other stuff, but they've been consistent now for twenty seven weeks. She, she being Lana, is improved by leaps and bounds in that time, and the more credibility she gets as a manager, the better she'll be, or the better the next person will be when they walk in. If she manages them. So uh, the only thing that I would have said, you know, to add to this segment is I wish that the they could have cut some sort of promo about what was upcoming or something along those lines rather than just have them. All right, girls, present the belts to me and put it up on my mantle. Uh, again, it was a nice visual, but it didn't forward anything. It didn't forward any narrative or angle or this or that. But, you know, I will use this moment in this segment to say that Lana Starr has improved a great deal. And as of right now, she is the top manager in the wild. I don't think that's a debatable issue. She has the tag team champions, and she's got the singular champion. And she has her enforcer, Vicky Lynn McCoy, who should have been in the title match to begin with, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, the next match, uh, uh, segment slash match, is BK Rhythm versus Sanchilla Chella. God damn, I can't stand that name. Um, this is one of the few times that AJ Mendez is actually seen on TV. That was the note that I had. And it had that had nothing to do with the match, but when I saw her on TV, I was like, I had to write this down. This is one of the few times that we see AJ Mendez on TV. And the only reason we saw her is because the cape was tossed to David McClain and he put it on AJ. Outside of that, you you probably wouldn't even know that that woman is there, which I still think to this day they should do something about. And since they got two docu-series that exist, if somewhere along the lines they do not sit down and talk to this woman, you know, and advertise like, hey, look, we, we finally put it up, folks. The interview that you've been waiting for, AJ Mendez talks about her career, why she stepped away from wrestling, and why she came back to Wow, the premier women's wrestling organization. You know, if you don't have something like that, you are wasting her. So anyway, it was it was nice to see her on TV. You know, again, if you didn't know that she was there, you probably would never know, because David McClain eats up a lot of the scene by doing everything. Uh the match has two good workers in it. BK Rhythm and Chantilla Chella 
Ray Lynn and Killer Kate on the Indies. They're, it felt like they slowed themselves down a little bit for the, the audience, maybe. I mean, to be able to follow along, because I know I've, I've seen them work a faster pace than this in different matches, but it felt like they slowed themselves down just a little bit for, I guess, the wild audience live and the wild audience on TV. But in any case, this was a big win. I believe this is the first singles win of BK Rhythm's wild career. She's lost the majority of her matches rather than win it. Uh, and she won with the full Nelson Flapjack, the, the mic check. And she scores a win, which was which I wrote shocking victory. That the match had a moderate pace, but it was two good workers. That, well, no, the, I'm sorry, it wasn't the mic check. She she calls it a mic check when she's doing her rap, but it's referred to as rhythm and bruise by the commentators, uh, specifically Dickie. So uh, there you have it. Although I will say this one. <laughs> Uh, my my coworker gave, gave her a good name. It's like, who is that supposed to be? Jane Cena? I was like, I thought that was funny. <laughs> but he walked in while she was cutting her rap on uh, cello. And, and that was the first thing I was, I was like, who that's supposed to be? Jane Cena? So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you're going to draw that kind of comparison. You know, when you, when you have stuff like this, you are going to draw that kind of comparison. Because, let's face it, WWE is the biggest dog in the yard. They got like 98% of the, of the wrestling market. So anything that you do is going to be comparative of that. Uh, particularly when you got a gimmick that is very close to the Dr. Thugonomics version of John Cena. So that that's what he recognized her as. Um, I, just, I want to step off of that just for a second to say one thing about the commentators. Because I don't think that Dickie gets enough credit as a reason a reasonable commentator i think he can there's, there's always room for improvement right there's always room for improvement but he but he does a good job and i i have advocated for this as well i don't think they need a three-person booth that's just doing what the wwe does everybody has done it it's like the wwe starts using three people then everybody starts using three people you don't have to follow that it's not so it's not a necessity to have three people on the on the call. In fact, I I would go back to what I've advocated for. You only need the two. And given the fact that I know this is his baby, and I know he probably wants to be part of the show, but David McClain doesn't have to do everything. He opens up the show with welcome to. He opens up the show. He's the host of the show. He's the interviewer of the show. He's the lead commentator on the show. He he's the first voice you see on the documentary series. Does the same thing. Welcome to Wild, and they sit down and talk to him. Not not to say that they shouldn't talk to him. They probably could have used a different open. They didn't need to have that one. But he he's in a lot of different things, and sometimes he chews up the scene by being too big. You know, I believe that. That commentating booth would jump up by leaps and bounds if they if they cut if David you can't cut him because he found it the thing, but if he chose to step down and allow Dickie and AJ Mendez to do their job, it would allow AJ specifically to be able to broaden herself out because she. 
I don't know how much she offers in a three-person booth. In a two-person booth, she'd almost have to give something. It would have to be a back and forth. It would have to be, you know, here's my... Now, she. I'm not saying she doesn't give anything. They pitch to her. They ask her opinion. They, you know, they do stuff like that. But it, it probably would be better in presentation if you just had the two. Because I do believe that Dickie has worked with that company long enough that he understands what David McLean wants out of him. He's probably done this long enough to know how David McLean chooses to, to illustrate the story and call the match and, you know, keep it lighthearted or whatever the case may be. I mean, because everybody has their own variation of how they like commentating. And I think that he's been there, he being Dickie, has been there long enough to understand what is what is being asked of him. So I, I don't really see the problem in them giving him the chance at this point, just out of loyalty to the company alone, he should des- he deserves a shot. I mean, the, what's the worst case scenario here? You give him a couple of weeks with just the two of them in a two person booth, and they, and they, if they don't do what you want to do, then just go back to it. You're not gonna lose anything. The people who watch Wild now are not gonna suddenly just turn off the TV because Dave McLean isn't on the call in the booth. You know, the people that watch Wild are going to watch Wild. That's that's just all it is. They got they have their audience. I'm not sure if they've expanded that audience or not, but they have their audience, and I don't think that that audience is going to leave just based on that. If I had anything to add to Dickie's commentary, and I'm going to say this, it, it, I'm, I'm going to speak directly to Stephen Dickey right now. If I had anything to add to your commentary and take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, yes, I have done commentary also, but I'm but I'm going to say that it has been for independent wrestling companies and individual matches. And I also, outside of me talking to the promoter, like give me an idea of what it is that you like and what you want and what you're doing. You know, outside of that, I really didn't have a governor over top of me. So take what take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Okay, now. Everything I think that he does on a commentating booth is fine. I just would suggest one change. Cut back on the amount of WWE-based moves that you call. There are certain moves that have transcended the names that have been attached to them. Uh, Some are generic. A figure four is a figure four. Yes, Ric Flair is... Famous for using the figure four, but a figure four is a figure four. A torture rack is a torture rack. Lex Luger, it was his move, but it wasn't called the Lex torture rack. It was just a torture rack, right? In cases like that, I think it's fine. Uh, When you start calling moves that are specific to the person, that's where it gets a little tricky for me. And I know that's a fine line to walk. But when he's like, oh, it's natural selection. Well, natural selection was Charlotte's thing. And that, you know, that was named and built on because of, you know, her whole deal, the evolution, blah, 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 blah. I forget, I forget the specific reasons, but it, but it was largely along the lines of her DNA being, you know, better than everybody else. Uh, the world's strongest slam, well, you know, that he 
called that as well. Like, G.I. Jane just won with the World's Strongest Slam. There's no reason for her to have a move called the World's Strongest Slam. She's not the World's Strongest Woman. That was a, a move, and I know he already, you already know this. It was a move by, you know, for Mark Henry because he's the world's strongest man, and people could believe that this dude who has bent a freaking pan, a cast iron pan in the ring, he would have the world's strongest slam. It's believable. With G.I. Jane, I'm not saying she couldn't do the move, but maybe name it something else that's appropriate for her. Back to boot camp. Something. I don't know. <laughs> that that was just something off the top of my head. You know, he, she just sent her back to boot camp. I, you know, whatever. Or just a, you know, a standing power slam. You know, if you if you don't have a witty name for it, just the just the generic version will do. But moves that are very in specific to the persons that made them famous. Calling it a famous or or uh, uh, what else did that has been used a, a perfect plex. I mean, you know, a cradle suplex will do. You know, to find it the original version of what the sharpshooter was before it was called a sharpshooter. It makes sense when you're talking about Brett the Hitman <laughs> that a Hitman would be a sharpshooter, right? But anybody else, it you know, it kind of doesn't work. And I know that he has the ability because I've heard him call the match for Leia Makona, you know, the Coconut Crush and all that stuff like that. So that that would be the only real suggestion that I would have to him is that I would I would lean back on the amount of WWE centric moves that really have no place there. Like, you know, it'd be like somebody using a cutter right now and say, oh, and she just hit her with an RKO. It doesn't make any sense. Just give it give it a name that works for who she is and, you know, move on from there. I've had my say. All right, so uh, the next segment was the Mother Trucker segment and the lead-in for this, this match. Now, the Mother Truckers are an interesting pair and storyline I mean I am almost positive that this was a dream come true for both of these ladies being a mother daughter team because I, I I know I said it before but uh, Big Rig Betty who worked as Amazing Maria on the Independence had wrestled for a long time and as far as I know she only stopped out of injury so to see that she was joining WOW was a little bit of a surprise to me, but I think this was the last opportunity that she had to, A, work a national television program, and B, work with her daughter. And she got a chance to do both. So I, that was a, a big thing, but I also knew just because of the injury that she was going to be somewhat limited in the ring. You really don't see her take a lot of bumps. I was surprised that she took a bump in this match. But largely, if you go back and you watch it, the opposition works around her. Her being Big Rig Betty. And Holly Swag is the one that goes in there. She takes it, you know, she gets the heat on her. She gets beat up and tossed around and all that stuff like that. 
Uh, so the segment that they're talking about with the mother truckers, how they got there and, and, and towed the car for the Fabulous Four and all that, which I, I didn't particularly care for that angle only because it was shot well, only because it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And just to recap, the concept of them being there, the mother truckers, is that the Fabulous Four break down in their car. They call for a tow. Holly Swag gets there with the tow truck. It's too many of them to get in there in her tow truck, so she calls her mom with the big, the big rig. Rather than pay them to uh, move their car and what have you, they just happen to be walking around with two tickets to the wild program that I guess the, the wild taping, I should say. And Holly Swag loses her mind, like, holy crap, I'm going to win now. Okay. So you got to kind of stretch your field of imagination to accept that because outside of like Super Bowl tickets or Final Four tickets or WrestleMania or, or Wimbledon or some other major event that goes on in the world, I doubt that anybody would barter tickets for the job that I'm doing. I, you know, but, but like I said, you got you got to give some concessions to storyline and showbiz, right? But where it doesn't make sense is that you know once they are there in the in the uh, wow environment, we now find out that oh well they were friends with Jesse Jones. They're like oh okay, so Jesse Jones had got these two people here <laughs> from the same town uh, that she's from who only got to the show because they helped out Lana Starr and her friends. Like, Jesse Jones didn't ask them to show up at all. And they didn't have no problems jumping in the ring over the guardrail, past security to come help her, you know, even though she didn't invite them to the show at no point. But again, uh, like I said, we're, we're trying to give concessions to showbiz or whatever you want to call it. So uh, they recap that and the fact that the uh, uh, the mother truckers want a, a championship match or you know title shot. So we go into this into this match, right? They are taking on Samantha Smart's new pairing of GI Jane and the Disciplinarian. Uh, as I just said. We don't really see a lot of uh, Big Rig Betty taking bumps and stuff like that. Generally speaking, she works as the cleanup hitter. And that's pretty much what this was. This was a standard trucker's match. I've only seen like three of them, but they basically all follow the same rules. Uh, Big Rig starts off. She beats him up. The heels uh, work around whatever she's doing. She tags out, get Holly Swag in there. Holly comes in. She starts off strong, then gets cut off. She takes a beating and survives it all until she is able to get back over there and make the tag and get Big Rig Betty. That is basically the match that took place. Here is where it went a different route. This match helped establish G.I. Jane. I think that might have been the overall goal here. This is what I got from it. Uh, because we've, we've seen the disciplinary, we know Samantha Smart, 
the the truckers have gotten you know some airtime one way or the other. Jane was the one here that really hasn't established who she is and you know how good or bad that she is in the ring. So I feel like this match helped establish her. The fact that Jane scored the pin. Now it was a pin after Smart's help, which is good because Samantha Smart needs to continue to show that she is a manager and you know do what managers do. Do what managers do. Let me pronunciate. Pass something to cheat with. Distract the referee. Use illegal objects. Whatever you know, do the do the normal manager stick. And every once in a while, after you've gotten on the fans' nerves enough, you take a bump. So, kudos to the both of them. Uh, like I said, the match went its standard way. Big Rig comes back in. She she does the cleanup for most of that. Gets ready to put Jane away. Smart smacks Big Rig Betty in the back with that the yardstick, which gives her enough like of a sting in her back where she's like, ah, you know, and, you know, kind of not curls up, but, you know, flinches a bit. And that's all the distraction that Jane needs. Hoists her up, goes for the, you know, that the big power slam, which is referred to as a world's strongest slam here, which, again, I don't think you should do that. But uh, she drops her, and apparently I'll say she took care of her when she brought her down, which is also good for Jane that she's able to do that. And she got the pin. And it was surprising that Big Rig took the pin. So, uh, G.I. Jane scores the pin after Samantha Smart's help. Smart comes in. She cuts a promo. Standing in between Jane and the disciplinarian. It felt like the new start of Samantha Smart's faction. Or her stable. However you want to phrase it. Uh and I put she's getting she's another one. She's getting better. She's not in the same position that Lana Starr is, but she's getting better. Particularly because I had somebody else who went over my notes. You know, that I tend to talk to a lot of people who are vague fans or casual fans at best. Just to, you know, just to hear it from somebody who's not jaded by watching wrestling all the time. But they watch it just because, you know, they're like it's good looking women up there or whatever the case may be. Or in some, in some cases, one of my friends actually got into the show. I got him into it. But he's still not a wrestling fan necessarily. He just he enjoys WoW. But he also is like, I, I don't understand what's happening here. What What is that? What does this mean? Uh, so when I wrote She's Getting Better, he didn't. He didn't get it. He's like, I don't think she's good at all. She she didn't really say anything. So I understand out of his point of view because he doesn't know Samantha Smart other than this point. But I was trying to explain to her, if you go back a couple of seasons, she didn't really do all that much. She didn't, she didn't, outside of a backstage vignette, she didn't really talk all that much. She's getting better in that she can grab the microphone and she can antagonize the audience and she is starting to come into the skin of Samantha Smart. So uh, when you look at it in its entirety, yeah, she's improved. And I hope that she continues to improve. Uh, the question I put here is that is this the start of a win, you know a winning run for Samantha Smart's team? It would be nice to see them get some wins underneath them. Uh, and more importantly... G.I. Jane got to work with three experienced wrestlers. 
She's probably older than Holly Swag, but Swag works the independence all the time. Swag as Holly Hood, even though they referenced the name in the middle of the match at one point. Uh, she's worked at OVW. She's worked on the end of, as part of the Free Babes with the NWA. And, and it, truthfully, I would have gone out of my way to try to get the Free Babes in, in WOW if it were me. Uh, but that's, again, neither here nor there. Um, uh, the Big Rig, Amazing Maria. Again, she's got like 20 years underneath her. Uh, the disciplinarian, Robin Ivory on the Independence, trained by Booker T, two times his women's champion, and she's gone across the Independence as well. So it's very good company for G.I. Jane to have been in in the course of this match, and I certainly hope that she gets the chance to continue with that. Wrestle with more experienced. Good grief. Get your words right. Experienced people. (laughs) I'm making up words here, folks. I don't know what experienced means, but maybe I'll come up with a definition for it eventually. But no, she gets the chance to wrestle with more experienced people, and, you know, and that's good. And I can see if, you know, if they continue with that, that they may be able to position her somewhat as the enforcer for uh, SMART. Could happen. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm going to do another sidebar here because I don't think that there's somebody else that I think deserves some in-ring credit. She's she's green, yes, but uh, I like her stuff. Vivian Rivera, who is not on this episode, by the way, but it just I just thought about it. Vivian Rivera. I think they have something with her, and I hope they're able to do something with her. And if I were in that writer's room or whatever, because like you need to get her, because she, I go back to the uh, the promo that she cut. It was a simple promo, and it was quick. It didn't really uh, tell a big story, other than you know I want the championship, and, and but that's all the point that she needed to make. But the thing that I remember is, and this is episode 25, if people want to go back to it, it's probably one of the only bright part spots of that episode, uh, is that she spoke with conviction. Vivian Rivera spoke with absolute conviction. So whether they, whether she came up with that on her own or they handed her a script, which I hope they didn't, uh, she was able to deliver the goods and make it sound like she meant every word that she said. And then when you look at her in the match of her and Robbie Rocket, uh, she did well. If there ever was a case of somebody that I would say let encourage them to go into independence and try to work some other matches so they can get better for your show, it would be Vivian. G.I. Jane would be a strong number two. Like they, they need some other seasoning, and they need to be in people who are better in the ring, who are people better than them, so that they can learn and not just go off of what, the, you know, the wild school. I'm sorry, but, you know, that's only going to take you so far. And it's only going to be relevant to if you're working wow. If they go and they wrestle someplace else and they get the chance to work with other people, it, it it's only going to improve their game by leaps and bounds. So, yeah, Vivian Rivera, G.I. Jane, I think that they, both of them would – get a world of difference if they actually wrestled someplace other than wow I'm, I'm pretty sure that's blasphemy within the wow universe but yeah go someplace other than wow and and get some practice work some people 
Work some people who know what they're doing and they're good at it. And you can learn the psychology. You can learn, you know, how this how this thing works, better timing, all that good stuff. Rather than looking like a deer in the headlights when certain things come across. Uh, that was three matches already. So now you're down to the main event. Now, here is where the show takes a turn. This is Siren the Voodoo Doll versus Candy Crush in the main event. The good thing here is that the match started with aggression, as it should, because Candy Crush had been portrayed as being somewhat abused and bullied by, we'll call them the monsters of the dark side or whatever. Uh, That was a big positive, that she came in and it was treated like there was anger there and aggression, and I want to get even. I'm almost positive that Siren got Candy Crush through the match. I'm nearly positive that she probably either put it together or called it or both. Uh, The match in and of itself was fairly basic. And again, I think Siren probably orchestrated it that way to keep it within uh, Crush's skill set. Because again, I know that Nina or Siren has worked longer, stronger matches, but, you know, she's working around uh, someone else who isn't as experienced as her. Crush ultimately wins with a superwoman punch from the second rope, just jumps off, nails it, boom, one, two, three, and we're done. Then out comes Angelica Dante, which I was surprised that she showed up. I, I fully expected for her to be forgotten about and for this whole thing to disappear. Uh, she comes out and she comes to taunt slash uh, concede. And and this is the most important part. She basically walked out there like, hey, I'm a woman of my word. You just won, so I'm going to tell you where your gloves are. And as that comes out of her mouth, Crush cuts a promo about she no longer wants it or needs the gloves. And she gives this promo and, you know, I thought I needed the gloves to be connected to my grandmother and this, that, and the other and the powers within me and I don't need it anymore, let's go, whatever her catchphrase is. This was maybe the singular most anticlimactic end to a most long feud that I've ever seen. And I put in my notes, is this done? Question mark, question mark, question mark. If she did not do this to get the gloves back, then why did we do this? This person is on the outside of the ring telling you, after you've jumped through hoops, mind you, and beaten everybody, and had multiple matches and several weeks, months really, of this whole thing of chasing these gloves and crying about it and everything else under the sun, now we get here and we have this anticlimactic match because it wasn't it wasn't a big blow off match, and I don't need him anymore. On paper, that sounds good. The execution of that was not. It 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 just did not come out, and there's not one person that I asked that 
looked at that and said, no, it was great. Not one. This, it, it's like, where, why? This felt like such a waste of time. Why did I invest in watching this person, wanting them to get their property back, their gloves that, they again, that they've been whining and crying about, and now just be like, well, no, I don't need them. The power was in me all along. Let's go. Again, poor execution. Poor execution. This would have made more sense to me if somewhere along the lines, let's just, let's just rebook this for a second, and we'll start at the beginning where she has her gloves stolen. If it had been established that Candy Crush was, I'm hesitant to say superstitious, but let's just say that the gloves were a good luck charm of hers. And we had a month and a half of her winning, and her, every time she wins, she pick up the gloves, kiss them, you know, I, I, I win because my grandmother's watching over me, blah, 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 blah. You know, all that good stuff. Something that establishes to the audience that these gloves are more than just sentimental. I believe, you know, this is my... It's my personal superstition. And, and you know, you could you could do the interview, the same things like, hey, there's football players that wear the same pair of socks on game day, or you know, they tie their laces the same way. Or you got basketball players that, you know, got special wristbands or this, that, and that. And I was like, it's not that they believe in superstition, it's just the thing that they do to get themselves as an athlete into the mindset to win. And these are what these gloves mean to me. They get me in the mindset to win. When I see these gloves that my grandmother gave me, it motivates me more than anything else I have in my life. When these gloves, when they sit in my, I don't need a corner person. I got these gloves hanging there, and they push me beyond anything that any other person can do. Now, if that was the speech, we would understand that these gloves mean something and this is part of the reason that she feels like she's winning. So now you have somebody come in and steal them. And with that theft comes a little bit of loss. She loses for the first time. She loses again. She loses again. Now she's getting frustrated. I got to get those gloves back. I hated having them stolen in the first place, but now I got to get them back. And she goes on a mission. I have to get these gloves back. And then you put her up against the monsters, as they call them. And you have them go in a row. And they should have went in a, uh, They should have flipped the end. You start off with, say, Holiday or something like that. And you have her get past her. You go to, to Siren. You have her get past her. She lose, You can still include the other two matches that she lost. They had a six-person tag where she went down to Chainsaw because in my version of the story, Chainsaw wouldn't have lost at all up until this point. She would have still been the monster. She would have been the undefeatable force up until Candy Crush comes up again in the big finale. You have a lose in the sixth person. You have a lose the first match against Chainsaw the same way. She could, lo- she could lose by fluke as long as she loses. And then you have that final match. Like, look, I will do whatever it takes to get these gloves back because, you know, I, I promised these people that I'm going to get it, da 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 And then you present the last match. All right, well, she already beat you, but I'll give you another shot because, you know, this is going to be your last opportunity. You got to beat my monster, my sister, Chainsaw. And when she beats you, you're going to walk out of this door because you won't have anything here anymore. You're going to give me your contract. 
and I'm going to tear it up in front of your face and watch you get your bags and walk out of here forever and go back to your losing ways and boxing too. You know, something. Give, give, you know, give that final match some oomph. And so she comes in, last match, then you have the blow-off. And you get an epic match. One of them that should go past commercial break. Every match that's in there shouldn't fit into a nice, neat, 10-minute package that they have. They get, they get four matches with the exception of episode 25. They get four matches every episode, no matter what. And they, they've only had one show that deviated from that. This is one of those cases like you need to have the match actually be epic. We've wait, you've waited weeks for this. It's time for a blow-off, and that blow-off needs to mean something. So in this scenario, she would be overcoming the odds. She would be beating the unbeaten. Beats Chainsaw, puts her down. Angela, Angelica Dante begrudgingly has these gloves that she's agreed to, and she's going to give them back to her. And then you hand it to Candy Crush. She gets the gloves. She can hold on to them, and then she can cut the speech like, you know what? I thought I needed these gloves in order for me to be successful here in a while, but you actually did me a favor. You made me understand that the gloves were just a representative of my inner spirit or this, that, however you want to phrase it. I don't need the gloves anymore. I'm glad I got them back, but they're going back in my house. I'm going to put them on my shelf where they belong, and they'll be safe from everybody, including you. But I don't need to have them in my corner anymore. I don't need to do this the way that I've been doing it before because I now know that I belong in the wild. I am as good as anybody in this company, and one day I will be champion. So you didn't hurt me by putting me through these hoops. You actually helped me, and you made me a better wild superhero for it. And I will be seeing you in the main events. I will be the champion because that is my next objective in this company, to win the wild championship. Let's go. That's a promo. And that's how you end it. But what do I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, that, that, it, it could have been so much better. It just, you know, again, I think on paper, that angle probably read better than what it came off as. But it, there was no way to make this match feel any bigger or better. It didn't have a big fight feel. It didn't feel like a blow-off. And what I, mean, what I mean by that is, like, Wild doesn't have any pay-per-views that they do. They don't have any TV specials or anything like that. They have a series of matches, and they promote a match on their show as, this is the big one, folks. This is the main event, blah, you know, stuff that they do. Every once in a while on that program, I think they should change up the presentation of the match just to make it a little bit bigger. And I know I've said some version of this, but whether that be bringing in a, a different ring announcer, whether that be having people in the corner, whether that be getting security there, having people, just something to change it to look visually. So that people can can look at it and be like, oh man, something, you know, because they don't have a pay-per-view to stick that on. But you can get that. Or for that matter, you got a you got an agreement with Pluto TV or some end with Pluto TV. Put a put a special on there. I don't understand why you couldn't. 
clearly have an end with them. We're like, hey, look, we're, we're going to be doing this, this, you know, this match. We got a two-hour special happening. This is going to be on Pluto TV this April, whatever. And all of these matches are going to come down. The tag team championship, this championship, we, the match for the gloves, the ladder, you know, whatever matches you want to toss in there. The point being is that to have a big, a big time feel to it would have changed a lot of that. Uh, having an established reason that she felt like these, where the promo made sense, that the power was in her all along, because Dave McClain reinforced that, like, oh, she realized that the power was in her side of all of it, which is a, a corny line. But I mean, look, you, you can use it. It just needed to have something else where it was already established that she felt like she needed it for quote-unquote power, which she didn't. And then the story ends with, I realize I do not need it. It's in me all along. I mean, so, you know, you just try to say it as seriously as you can and not come off like a goofball on TV. So that was that was a lot of the episode. That was episode 27. Well, I shouldn't say a lot of. That was all of the episode. Uh, it was fair, but that main event gave it a nosedive. Uh, Tiki Chamar versus Genesis, BK Rhythm versus Chantilla Chelly, the Mother Truckers versus G.I. Jane, and Disciplinarian propped this show up. Nina Monet did a fine job in the match. Candy Crush did a fine job in the match. I, and, you know, every everybody did well. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, you know, they, they ruined. No, they didn't. This has nothing to do with the talent that was in the ring. This has everything to do with the execution of how it was put put across. The same complaint that I had on episode 25, except it's not the entire show. It is not anything to do with the with the in-ring talent. It is everything to do with how you have presented this. The presentation of WoW gets crappy sometimes. And, you know, and I will go back and I'll reiterate the two biggest things that WoW has working against them is the fact that they have multiple times where they're out of sequence and out of order and they have plot holes and they have to try to try to plug them up as best that they can. And sometimes they can't. Uh, They just say stuff and hope that it sticks or hope that you don't pay attention to it. That and cases like this, where the execution of said things just come off wrong, or you know it just doesn't match the direction that they were going in. Those have been the biggest things, and unless they can fix that, I go back to saying, while gets by. Because their fan base is the wild fan base. And they haven't stretched beyond that very much. The people that are watching wild are the people who are going to watch wild. It's not like they've dug into and and set their teeth into the wrestling market and gotten more people over. These are the people who are waiting on wild to begin with largely. Based on the... uh, Ratings that I saw, I know the the first version of it I saw, the ratings took a dip going into the new year, but they basically 
hovered around what a hundred and twenty five thousand somewhere around there. Uh, which again, it goes back to you know the people that are watching it are probably the people that are watching it. So so they're not really they're not really getting a bunch of other wrestling fans to watch this. Although they should and they should try, and that's the problem. If they exceed beyond and they get those fans, then they're going to fall under the same type of scrutiny that the NWA falls under, that Impact Wrestling falls under, that MLW, that AEW, that WWE. All of them fall under wrestling scrutiny at some point. While escapes that because they're not looked at and viewed in the same way. They get the pass because most people say, oh, you know, it's wild, it's campy. And, you know, it's just it's just a fun watch. Well, you know, that that campiness thing is only going to last so long. At some point in time, if they if they try to push it and they try to go on tour or they expand the show and they take it two hours of this, that and the other, they're going to fall under wrestling scrutiny. And if it's not patched up, if the holes, if the plot holes, if the continuity errors, if if the things that they do that don't make any sense are not addressed and fixed. Before they do that, that's where they're going to have the problem. I've said it before. I will stand on that until they fix it. And so there it is, folks. That is the uh, bulk of the review of episode 27 of WOW, Women of Wrestling. And I guess at this point, all we got to do is just wait for the next Saturday's broadcast to see where and what they're going to do this time around. Is there going to be any major changes that are occurring? Uh, this feels like a wild revamp to, to some degree. And I hope that if they are doing a revamp, that it continues to up climb rather than, you know, fall off or, you know, anything along those lines. And in closing... I just want to say one other thing about their wild uh, road to wild deal. One of the people that are interviewed in that is Americana or Samantha Sage, as she was formerly known. I give her a lot of grief on on wild television because she does not present well in front of the camera. I cannot be the only person that has thought that. I can't be. And she is a deer in the headlights. And as it has appeared so far, really doesn't seem to have any ability to shuffle or change the direction of whatever she's talking about to something that's relevant. Like I I go back to that one time, that David McClain was in the ring and telling her, hey, you guys are going to get the match with so-and-so. It's going to be a six-person tag. You, Jesse, Commander Spars against Samantha Spartan and our army, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, all right, David, it's the American way. I'm like, what, what kind of response is that? That didn't even make sense. It, <laughs> but if you look at her on the uh, – show for the little bit that I saw the, my road to wow is like an entirely different person like where's that person at where's this person that's on the road to wow 
Why do we not have her? But it also stands to reason that this persona that she has was suggested to her. Uh, she does say, and again, I, I'm, I'm going to go back and watch the rest of these at some point. She, during her sit down, says that, you know, Dave McClain sat to her next to her and asked her, did she want to incorporate her real life into this? We got to incorporate this into the story, you know, her and her son and her overcoming the odds and uh, wanting to be a wrestler and this, that, and the other. This is my dream come true. I'm going to be a while forever, you know. Etc., 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 and we have to give you a character, and they gave her Americana. Now, it sounds a lot like the old Bruce, uh, I can't even, Brother Love. It's, I couldn't think of his last name right now. I don't know why. I just, uh, Pritchard, <laughs> Bruce Pritchard, aka Brother Love. It sounds like the old box of gimmicks thing. Like, like, let's reach in here and see what character we can give you. Ah, Americana. <laughs> That'd be great for you. Now, you talk about people who don't understand that. Ask somebody who does not watch WoW what they think about Americana. Just, just off of the look. Almost every time I've done that, the first thing out of their mouth in some varying degree is, why is she Americana? I don't see any red, white, and blue. In some varying degree of that of that statement, is that's what's phrased. Like, why is she Americana? I what, what she got like teal and orange and pink and this, that, and the other? Like, what, what is she Americana? What, what is so American about her other than she was born here? <laughs> and that was an actual question. I was like, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know what makes her necessarily Americana besides the fact that she was born here. And I was like, we're all Americana if that's the case. The, it, it's, a, it's a persona that should be defined but isn't. She needs to be able to get up and do a promo, but I don't think that she could do a promo. Like every other person on this show almost has a surface level character. And I don't agree with this necessarily. I don't like the idea that you have a character or a persona that you can look at and be like, okay, yeah, I know who that person is. And, and that's pretty much all you are explained. Like the Heavy Metal Sisters, they got the name, then they come out there and headbang, and they, you know, they got the, the, the whole shtick that they do. So anybody that's watching that show is like, okay, yeah, they're in the heavy metal music, I guess. Although I've heard people like, hey, yeah, I bet they don't listen to any of that. <laughs> now, I don't know if they if they do. That was somebody else's comment, not mine. I have no idea what music they listen to. Uh, ice Cold, they pretty much get it when they look at it. It's like, okay, yeah, she's some sort of ice princess or ice skater or <laughs> something like that. Uh, BK Rhythm, they're like, okay, she's got headphones and a microphone on her shirt. I'm guessing she likes music. <laughs> and when they hear her talk, okay, I, I'm guessing she likes rap music. And it just keeps going on and on that way. A lot of these people are just surface level, and you get it just from the look. Again, I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's the truth. They, you know, they exist, and you get them just from the look. I mean, there's nothing about Americana that you can look at and be like, oh, okay, I, I get it now. Who is she? And that's what I wind up with. Who is she? She either gets one of two responses. One, 
What I just said, like, hey, how is she Americana? I don't see anything red, white. She don't even come out with a flag. What makes her Americana necessarily? She didn't cut any promos about how she loved the USA or anything like that. It's just, what is this? Or if it's wrestling fans that have watched women's wrestling for a while, you'll get, she looks like Santana Garrett. She looks like a knockoff version of Santana Garrett from the look down to her move. Is one or the other. And I say all of that to say this. She probably is a nice enough person. And her story is nice. And she comes off much better. On the Road to Wild series. Than she ever did on Wow. She is. A, you know I'm going to add her to the list. Of Vivian Rivera. G.I. Jane. If there's ever a case. For the argument. That you need to leave. Well, you don't have to leave, but you need to go take some bookings somewhere and learn the other aspects of this, including how to get a microphone and address your opponent, address your angle, address the situation that you're in. She's a strong case for that. She needs to practice. If she's going to stay there because if she exists as Americana currently is and, and her only saving grace is the fact that she has a son that she lets come in anytime she wins or anytime she's celebrating, that will get old. Like you, you, you can't have him walking into the ring and hugging mommy and her friends forever. She's got to be able to stand up on her own two feet and get by on her own at some point. But we'll see if Wild ever does that. It's not like they listen to me. So, folks, that is the show. That is review. You know what? I think I, I, I think I'll put together a Wild report card at some point. That might be something that needs to be done. Like, here's the things I like about it. Here's this is what I think they should do. You know, here's what I think they should improve, and here's where they failed at, or you know, something like that. And that, that'd probably be fun. <laughs> it, it, it might be nerve-wracking for me for a while, too, but it might be fun. So I'll I, I think about that. It, that. That might be a nice project to try. Okay, so that said, I think we have covered everything. That's another episode up, another episode down. Thank you for listening to this podcast and listening to my review. If you have any comments, please leave it in the comment section. If you have any anything that you'd like to share or you ask a question, you can also leave those in the comments, or you can go to the website, you hit the contact button, it will get right over to me uh, ASAP. All you got to do is go to WPNWrestling.com and uh, hit the contact button, it will send it right over. And while you're there, you can, you know, that is the hub for everything that the WPN does, including the 24 7, seven days a week broadcast that exists on that website. If you need a clean, a palate cleanser or you want to see some of the wild superheroes before they were wild superheroes go there you can always check that out you can go onto the, our YouTube page and seek out the matches directly and you'll see a couple of people who were wrestling here before they were famous including uh, Kira Hogan before she was on AEW television including Gigi Dolan when she was Priscilla Kelly including Nina Monet before you know well I say Sour the Voodoo Doll when she was Nina Monet. And, and you could just go on. And Jesse Jones when she was Jesse Bell. You could just go on and on and on. They're all there. And then there's some people that you 
haven't heard or haven't seen who are extremely talented and you may be seeing them for the first time so uh head on over there wpnwrestling.com it will uh introduce you to a lot of familiar faces and introduce you to some people that you might not have known and with that folks we are done here we are wrapping this up this is mr green saying that this is mr green saying that oh man did did i just mess up my ending (laughs) let's let's rewind that let's roll this back all right This is Mr. Green saying that this is Mr. Green saying so long and we will see you on the next go round. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening.